My Story podcast. This is where we sit down, we speak with different people, and learn more to their story. All right, this is a first for us. We had a spouse of one of us on the podcast. Diane Browning was our guest today, uh, our sound engineer, Mike's wife. And I've, I had a chance to work with Diane through church committees and different things and um, just really have always had a lot of respect for her. But her story is is really cool and neat. Um, and, man, it just I enjoyed learning about when she first got out of college and started working, when she moved back to Galveston and that experience, it was a lot of, it's really intriguing. I think what I loved about Diane's story is I already respect her as a female mentor in our community and her leadership through the uh, ELCP and here at church. But I loved hearing even more so how that strong female leadership came from her mom and her grandma and growing up um, and then how she raised strong, powerful women. So really, Diane's story is so good. Well, thanks for joining us, Diane. Welcome to More to My Story podcast. We have Diane Browning. I am so excited to spend some time with you and uh, just I've known you for some years and I remember working with you when you were with ELCP and ran that for uh, for the for ELCP for a long time. And, and then I read your, your information you gave us, and I was like, oh, man, this is going to be tough to cover all this in an hour. <laughs> I have got some, some great stories in here, and, and it's just – so I'm really excited. Thanks for, for being on and, and being a part of this today. Well, thank you. Yes, I, you. I just – sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> you got I just want to thank you. I, I have listened to all the other podcasts, and I told Mike, I don't think I have a story compared to any of those people. But uh, anyway, I'm happy to share. Well, we're glad you're going to share because you do have a fabulous story. And it's funny because even though you and I work together at the church, I was reading over the notes, and I was just like, Oh my goodness, I can't wait to ask her all these stories. So without much ado, we're going to go ahead and get started. Okay. So Diane, um, you're, you're from Galveston, but you weren't born on the island, were you? No. I was born in actually Bossier City at Barksdale Air Force Base. My dad was in the Air Force, and we were stationed there. And then, and then you – so to tell your story a little bit, you talk about your dad – uh, became ill, um, kind of changed your childhood a little bit. Do you want to kind of dive into that for us? Right. Well, we, we were in Bossier City when I was born, and then we were stationed in Turkey, Ankara, Turkey, and we lived over there, and I had a sister born there. Then we came back to the States, and my dad was stationed at um, Ellington Air Force Base right here in the Houston area, um, which was kind of good because my family, my mom's family was all right in Galveston. But at that time, I uh, had another sister born. So then there were four kids, my mom and my dad, and my dad contracted polio. It was kind of during that, the epidemic. And uh, at first, he just had horrible, bad backaches. And I can kind of remember that, remember him being in the bathtub, you know, trying to relieve the pain. And then he got sent to uh, San Antonio to uh, Brooks Army, uh, Brooks General and Hospital there and was there, I think, six weeks before he died. But he had two kinds of polio. So he was in an iron lung. If you've ever seen an iron lung, it's Mike and I were wandering on uh, Highway 66, was it, Mike, and went into a little museum. And I was just wandering through this museum, and there was an iron lung. And I was just, ugh, you know, it was overwhelming. But, yeah, he died, and so... My mom uh, moved us back to Galveston to her mom's, and we actually had to do some. My grandmother had a house and a garage apartment, but but an aunt and uncle and their three kids were living in the house. So they bought a house in Lamarck, and we stayed in the apartment with my grandma until they moved out. Then we moved into the house, and my mom raised us there. You know, that's where I, you know, grew up then, essentially. So so real quick, when your dad um, contracted polio and was, was sent to San Antonio, how old were you? Well, I was actually 
five when he died. So it was, I was five. Okay, five. Uh, he died that summer and I turned six not long after that. So I started first grade then immediately after that. And so when he left to go to San Antonio, had was that when was that like when your mom said her final goodbye before he went to San Antonio? Or no, she went to San Antonio and she was there with him in San Antonio. I think most of the time that he was there, we ended up going to Galveston um, to my grandmother's and my aunt's. And, you know, we had a lot of family down there, so yes, that's yes. where we were. Oh my goodness. And so your um, mom and dad, so your mom, was she from Galveston? That's where she grew up? Yeah, my mom was a BOI, born and raised in Galveston, born in the island. So, yeah. They met at a, at a S, uh, USO dance. I recently read an account of that. My mom uh, had written to Rachel, answered some questions. And mother said, yeah, I met uh, Dwayne at a USO dance. It was a sweater dance. So I was like, woo, mother. So anyway, they met and married not long after that. Was that on the island? Was that USO? It was on the island, yeah. It was okay. all right. And then, so you grew up in your, some way you talk about, you, you lived in your mom, your, your mother, your grandmother's house with your mom. And then you mentioned that you went to the same schools that your mom went to. Right. We, um, we lived three blocks from Crockett, Davy Crockett Elementary School. And mother had gone there. Uh, her three brothers had gone there. And so all four of us went to that school. A lot of the teachers, the sec my second grade teacher, Miss Carr, and my fifth grade teacher, Miss Howard, they had also uh, taught my mom. So it was kind of fun. I mean, everybody knew us. You know, we were, we were, we got to be, I think, a little bit famous on the island, or maybe it's notorious, but uh, you know, those four rump kids running around. So. Oh my goodness. So when you moved in with your grandmother and was your grandfather, was he alive? No, he actually died when my brother was a baby. So I never even knew my grandfather. Wow. And grandma was in that garage apartment and she stayed there when we moved into her house. But then I don't know why, but for some reason, at some point she went ahead and moved in with us. So this was like a, really a two-bedroom house with a little addition that gave it a den and a really tiny bedroom. And uh, we all lived there, two adults, four kids. My, my sister slept on a hide-a-bed, always pulled the hide-a-bed out, unless we were all in a bed together in another bedroom. It was, it was tight, but we didn't really notice that. Yes. Wow. So both your mom and your grandmother were widowed young. Yeah. Wow. Right. So what was it like growing up on the island, growing up in Galveston Island? And what all did you do? What were some of your activities you were involved in? Well, first of all, we had a park right across the street. Lasker Park was right across the street from us. So we spent our days, and especially in the summertime, we just played in the park. There was a tennis court. Nobody much played tennis, but we learned to skate over there. We learned to ride our bikes. Uh, there was baseball games going on, swings, jungle gym, all these things that you can't have in parks anymore. But uh, we just played all day. My grandma or my mom would come out to the front porch and holler, come on home, you know, when it was time. We chased the snow cone truck down the street barefooted, ran through stick of rares barefooted, uh, as I got a little older and rode my bicycle, I could ride my bike all the way to the ferry landing. And, you know, nobody thought anything of that. We did it. I would haul Girl Scout cookies to the ferry landing with a friend. And we would, no parent, just Carol Ann and I. And we'd sit down there and sell cookies. You know, it was pretty free and easy. My mom worked and she would get home. Uh, and again, this is mainly in the summer. When she would get home from work, um, She'd say, y'all want to go to the beach? Yep. And so we'd all get our bathing suits, get our towels, pile in the car with her, and she'd go. She did not swim at all and was deathly afraid of the water. But she would sit on the sand, and we knew that we had to keep watching her because of the undertow. And if we got too far over from Mother, she'd be waving, you know, come on back. We'd get back. But, you know, we did that summers. You know, it was kind of easy going. Um, Nice. What, did we, you, what did your mom do that she was working? She worked in American National Insurance Company. Um, 
I don't know exactly what you called what she did, but she worked with the computers and the key punch cards and things like that. Yeah. So while she was working and your grandma was your caregiver? Yeah, my grandmother was working when we moved in with her down there. But she retired when I went into the fourth grade, and that's when mother went to work. She stayed home with us before that. And my mom didn't drive when my dad died. We had a car, we had a 50 Osmobile, but she didn't know how to drive. So in that kind of interim, my uncles taught her how to drive, and she got so she could do that. And then she went to work when grandma, so then she was the caregiver, then grandma was the caregiver. Wow, that's wonderful. Yeah. So it was nice. So just real quick, you have an older brother and two younger sisters, is that correct? That's correct. And how much older is your brother? He's three years older than me. Okay. So when your when your father passed away, it was eight five, and then um, Kathleen's three years younger than me, and then Rainy was twenty months younger than her. So Rainy was sixteen months when my dad oh. died. Oh, very very. I mean, infant. She does. So. Neither one of them have any kind of memory of him at all. Yeah. Mine is very very minute, but they don't have any. Yeah. So then you, you grow up on the island, you go to high school. What were some of the activities that you did in high school? And, you know, what was your social outline, uh, social life like? I mean, kind of painted that picture for us a little bit. Well, we were in band. My brother was in band. I was a man. All four of us eventually were in band. And so band, you know, even then, those days, it wasn't anything like it is now. But it still took up a lot of our time. So, we, you know, we were busy with that. Um, I was in a lot of clubs. What did, you, what did you play in the band? I played clarinet. And um, Donnie pay, played uh, baritone sax. And he had rheumatic fever when he was like in the eighth grade. So he had to stay in bed for a whole year and then repeat that grade. A so it made him year? instead of, a whole year. So instead of him being because of age and birthdays and stuff, he was two years ahead of me, but then he was only one year ahead of me. So we had a lot of the same friends. I went out with, you know, his friends and we did a lot of band kind of things. It was a, a lot of dances, school dances, and he was in a jazz band and, you know, and then we were really active in church. We always were at church. So we had a real active youth group. We did a lot of things with them. Was it a Presbyterian church? Presbyterian, yeah. Yeah. Now you it's had a uh, the church my mom had grown up in. Oh, I love it. Is it is that the is there only one Presbyterian church on the island or was there more than one? Oh no, there are actually four, but uh, it's Westminster Presbyterian and it's right behind San Louis now, San Louis Hotel on Avenue O and it's in I mean Avenue U, it's in the old Fort Crockett building. It wasn't when I was growing up. It was at another place, and it was in walking distance, so um, we could walk to it. Um, but then it moved there, I think, when I was in about ninth grade. But it's still there, still an active church. So I know in your notes you mentioned how growing to school, where your mom went to school and growing up where your mom grew up, that everyone knew you as, as Sadie's daughter because you favored her and looked like her. And I imagine Galveston kind of had a small town feel. Were you, as you were growing up, were you craving to like get off the island and get to the big city? Or were you thinking, I'm an island girl? Like, did you ever have, like, where were you, where were you feeling about that growing up on the island? I liked it. I didn't really think about going anywhere else. Um, I was happy to go away to college. I was homesick. Uh, but I liked college. I went to Austin College in Sherman. And so that was a long way in those days. You didn't come home, you know, on weekends and stuff. That was too far. And uh, my brother was there, though. So when, when I first went, Donnie was there. But then he wasn't really interested in being there. He didn't study. And he wanted to go in the service. It was Vietnam. So um, Donnie enlisted in the Army. And uh, so he wasn't there that my yet next sister eventually came to Austin College, but I was already graduated by the time Kathleen started there. And what did you study? Education. 
And so um, I know in your notes you mentioned, and I just want to circle back in case it happened before this. You mentioned that y'all were one of the first few to get the polio vaccine. When was that? I think I was in either third or fourth grade when that came out. I, I remember, um, you know, standing in line and waiting for it. And at first you got it on a sugar cube. So that's what we got. We got it on a sugar cube. It wasn't a shot at that time. And then later it evolved. But um, and Were you aware that as you're getting this polio vaccine that this was the illness that took your dad? Like, like was that? Oh, yeah, we... Oh, yeah, that was a big motivator, first of all. Um, and I have a memory of when we were still in Pasadena, while my dad was in the hospital, but we were still at our house in Pasadena, uh, playing out in the backyard, and the neighbor's grandparents were there, and we were playing with our friends, and she hollered to her grandkids and said, y'all come on home. Those kids have a disease you might catch. So I've always, you know, always had that kind of in my head that I remember hearing that, and, you know, so that was not a pleasant, no. pleasant thing. But yeah, we were well aware of polio and, um, you know, we did the March of Dimes things regularly as volunteers, all of that. So how is the recent situation with, with uh, the coronavirus, how is that, is that brought any memories back of, of that time or, you know, have you been able to make any comparisons? Yeah, I think it has. And um, even before the coronavirus came, Rachel is kind of in the process of writing a novel and she wants my parents to kind of be in it and of them a little bit. And so she's been doing research on polio and, and read several books about it. So we've been talking about it kind of all along, but yeah, it, it is a lot of the same because even then some people didn't think it was anything. Some people did. Um, fortunately, I don't think it was as contagious as COVID is, but, um, or more of us would have gotten it. But if you talk to people, I mean, at one time in the choir, there were like three or four people that were a little bit older than me, but had had polio. My, what's her name, Betty uh, McElroy, she had polio. Oh, and, uh, and a lot of them are, you know, who had polio then, or in that, sometime in that time range, uh, are having some uh, follow-up uh, conditions brought on by that, some symptoms and things. So it's kind of scary. Mm -hmm. so so you went off to Austin College, and you said in here that the, one of the attractions to Austin College is the first people you met that had a college degree graduated from Austin College, and then you had a youth pastor that took you there on a, um, on a trip, a right. group of youth to a trip, and then at that point, you were hooked. You, you wanted yeah. to be in. It's actually Carolyn and Stanley Cobbs. Carolyn was my fourth grade teacher. And uh, at that little elementary school, but they also joined our church. And my mom was always the kind of person who was helping people out. So, you know, she was helping them find furniture, helping them do this, helping them do that. Stanley was in medical school and Carolyn was lonely a lot of the time by herself. So, you know, they kind of became friends. And my girlfriend and I, even after that fourth grade year, we would ride our bikes over to their house and they'd show us their yearbook from Austin College and, and talk about the, all that. Then when I got in high school, uh, Theo Fisher, he was a volunteer uh, youth director. Um, he took us on a field trip or a weekend trip to Austin College. So, you know, that was it. I Before that, I really didn't know anybody really well that had gone to college. I mean, even my uncles, none of them graduated from high school. So, um, you know, it was, that was a big deal. Yeah. And of course, Austin College is beautiful, little, you know, it was small and um, it was an attraction. It's one, of, it's one of the few Presbyterian colleges in Texas. There's only a handful yeah. of them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So then at, okay. at, at at Austin College, you studied education. What did you? What was your time there like? Were you, did you still play musical instrument? Did you? Were you active in church, social clubs? What was it like? 
Yeah, all of that. I was I was in the band. It was real small and not all that great, but I wasn't all that great either, so that was fine. Um, so I was in the band. I, we had a really fun um, band director named Cecil Isaac, and he was great. Um, I went to the first, well, I started out going to Grand Avenue Prez, which was right across the street. Uh, but then, I don't know, at some point, I read that Mrs. Mosley, who was the wife of the president of the college, um, would pick up anyone interested in singing in the choir. She would pick them up on a certain, on Wednesday night at a certain place and we could ride with her down to the church to choir practice, and then she would also be our ride on Sunday morning. So I was interested in the singing in the choir part and uh, really wasn't crazy about Grand Avenue. So I started going. So Sarah Mosley was her name. She was the wife of the president of the college, drove me to, and several other kids to choir on Wednesday night and then to church on Sunday morning. So I stayed active that way through the church. And... Um, you know, there were clubs like education, educational clubs. I honestly uh, liked pinball machines, and I would do that in the in the uh, sub. You know, I'd go over there and play that. My brother was kind of into that. I got into that, and you know, I did goofy things like that. But so, no one in your family was in education, and it really kind of was sparked from your fourth grade teacher. Well. Really, my mom said that the minute I was born, I was teaching. She felt like uh, I was always playing dolls and with my sister, sitting them down, reading to them, all that. I always wanted to be a teacher um, early on. And then I kind of wanted, well, I want to be a teacher or a missionary, but I could also teach and be a missionary. And then we had a good friend who was the head of the nursing school at UT, and I went to a few cappings with Jane. So then for a very short time, I wanted to be a nurse. And I could still find myself interested in the medical field. I'd get into those doctor, um, Grey's Anatomy and all those shows. You know, I could do that. But, but really, I always wanted to be a teacher. So you mentioned cappings, and you mentioned it in, the, in your information. Can you explain what that is? Oh, okay. Okay. Well... I don't have any idea if they do it anymore, but you know, nurses, first of all, used to always wear a very starch, stiff, stiff uniform and a cap. You had a cap. So in nursing school, you had to get to a certain point in your nursing school, I guess so many courses and all that, and then they would have a capping ceremony. And you would go, you know, it was a real formal thing. We would dress up and go with Jane and watch these, you know, student nurses. Really, I guess they were becoming nurses at that time. So that's what that was. And uh, she, I had a, I had a Tony doll, and um, Jane even ordered for me a little nurse's uniform with a cap, uh, you know, so I could play with that. So that was kind of my nursing uh, time. Um, uh, now, your brother, is it right that your brother and your sister became, uh, went into the yeah, medical field? They're both nurses. Yeah, they're retired yeah. now, but yes. And then my other sister uh, was a teacher and a children's librarian. So we were all kind of in that service-oriented area. Uh, it's the community shaped you, it seemed like, and you know, a lot of your exposure. So you graduated from Austin College, and you get in and you become a teacher, and um, you said this was one of the, some of the most formative times of your life, your first time teaching, and you went back to Galveston, is that correct? I did. Now, why don't you just tell us about that first teaching job you got and, and uh, what, where you were at and kind of what the situation was. Okay. Well, the reason I went back to Galveston, might put your fingers in your ears, um, I was pinned to a guy who said he was going to go to to medical school in Galveston. He was going to go to UTMB. So I didn't see any sense in going anywhere else to school. So I just went on home and applied there. Well, I knew, you know, a lot of people in Galveston. I was, you know, I'd gotten a lot of scholarships. I'd been in education clubs in high school and all. So people knew me. And when I got, I went to apply and uh, Mr. Bedford McKenzie was the one who was interviewing me. He was assistant superintendent. 
And he said, oh, Diane, we have just the spot for you. We're going to give you a job at Crockett. Crockett's where I went to school. Well, I tried to act excited, but I was really like, oh, my gosh, I'm right back where I started. That doesn't sound like much progress. You know, so I was a little disappointed. But midsummer, I got a letter, and it said, now, this was 1969. No, I'm sorry, 68. Martin Luther King had been assassinated. Robbie, Robert Kennedy had been assassinated. Uh, I knew a lot of people going to, you know, going off doing kind of exciting things, and I was back home teaching. So I get this letter, and uh, it said that they were going to integrate three of the elementary schools. Um, the high school in Galveston, the black high school had been closed, Central High School had been closed. And uh, it was the middle school now, but all the kids were going to Ball High School. So that had been integrated, but the elementary schools had not. So they were going to take three elementary schools and integrate the staff of those schools somewhat. But they wanted to do it with volunteers. So, you know, it was like if anyone is interested in that, please let us know. I was so excited. And I was like, oh, mom, look at the, oh, oh, I probably won't get the job. So many people want that. And she was like, Diane, you have got the job if you just call them because, you know, honey, people are not going to want to do that. But I wanted to do it. And so I got a job there and taught first grade at Goliath Elementary School for four years. So what inspired you for that movement was kind of this whole seeing marketing and seeing some. It was what, right. It was what was going on. And, um, you know, Austin College was pretty secluded. We didn't even have any black people at Austin College unless they came from Africa. You know, I mean, really, they were missionary people and all. So, and I didn't have a lot of exposure to, to black people growing up just because you didn't but um but i did grow up riding this the buses in galveston the city buses blacks had to sit in the back i remember very well colored and white water fountains uh when we rode the bus my grandmother would say you can sit in the back because we wanted to that's the big seat in the back that was fun you can but if people come back there you have to get up and let them have their seats they can't sit everywhere so you know we've had a lot of discussions about all that in my family my mom and my grandmother couldn't have been more open to anyone i mean they were not prejudiced now my mom's brothers were not that way so didn't just automatically happen but some reason my mom and my grandmother were not like that so anyway when i had thought i had a chance to um, be a part of integrating. I was just thrilled. You know, it was. So, what was it like when you got to and you started teaching? That you, I, I just want to cue in on this a little bit. You said they're integrating the staff, so the student body was all all black, and mm-hmm. most of the staff was probably black, except for you and maybe a couple other teachers. Is that yeah, right? They were just. They were just a so, what was it like? so, what was well, that like for you? Because you just. You just explained it would be a pretty stark difference to how you grew up. Right. And it was. um, But most everyone in that staff was really, really welcoming. The principal himself was um, Mr. Sweat. And Mr. Sweat's brother was the postman from Galveston who had gone to college and was trying to go to law school, ETMB Law School. And they wouldn't let him go in. He filed a suit. He got... UTMB Law School integrated. So uh, this was the man who was my principal, and he had been a high school um, science teacher, biology, I think. And then, as they knew they were starting to close down Central, he became a, he was a counselor, and so he had actually retired. And they called him back in to be the principal, and he was just the most gracious, loving, generous man you ever would want to meet and he was totally my protector i mean people didn't get to me if parents were angry and there were some um they didn't get to me you know unless he they had already gone through him and uh, a couple of the teachers on first grade um one of them in particular uh, rose hill she was just totally inclusive of me and helped me do everything there were some teachers who would come and stand one named pearly woods 
funny how you don't, 50 years, you don't even forget these people, but Hurley stand in my door and just look, hmm, hmm. well, Rose has a rocking chair. I see you got a rocking chair too. Mm, mm. And then she would go on off, you know, so um, everyone wasn't totally that way, but, um, but overall it was, it was really good. And um, the kids were just adorable. They had had no kindergarten. There were no preschools in those days. And any, anyone who went to kindergarten went to a private kindergarten and these kids didn't. I mean, they were just poor little kids. And uh, they, well, it was first grade. First. First. Oh. And they didn't know how to hold crayons. I'm not kidding you. They did not know how to hold crayons. I mean, it, you know, they just hadn't had all that. So my mom and I, we just, we bought stuff because this was the sad thing. And it's true. Um, I would go to meetings, teacher meetings, and people would be talking about they had this and they had that. And I'm like, we didn't get that. And uh, the black schools were not supplied the way the white schools were. I mean, it was, you could tell, it was pretty clear. So we would drive up to Coles. There was a Coles teacher supply in Pasadena. And we would drive up there and my mom would buy me, you know, stacks of construction paper and all kinds of things. Um, you know, and I'd say my mom bought because when I first started, I didn't have any money. Uh, and so you're about 22, 23 when you started there, right? Right out of college? Right. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. That's it. Right out of college, yeah. And how so long? Out of those, go ahead, Carmeline. How long were you at that elementary? I was there four years. Um, after the second year, I met Mike, um, and um, then we got married. Yeah, then we got married, and after the fourth year, I, by then I was pregnant, and um, I just I stayed home for the next like six years when I had the girls until they were both back in school. How did you meet Mike? How did I meet Mike? You well, tell. my brother uh, worked for IBM, as did Mike. And uh, it was funny because my brother and my sister-in-law would sit and have conversations about, Diane needs to meet Mike. And then Donnie would say, no, she needs to meet Frank. She needs oh. to meet Mike. Jan would say, Mike has a Corvette. Mike has a sailboat. And I went, not interested in anybody with a Corvette, a sailboat, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so I, you know, didn't meet him. And then uh, Donnie and Jan lived in uh, uh, Clare Lake, and they were moving back to the island. And I helped with the move, and Mike helped from the Clear Lake end. He was bringing stuff to the house, and I was over there getting them. And first time I saw Mike, he came walking in. My sister-in-law was a hoot. He had a basket of wet clothes that uh, Jan had started washing that morning before they were moving, not thinking that she didn't have time to dry them. And he's like, okay, where do I put these? So then um, we helped with the move that whole weekend, and my uncle threw a barbecue to kind of celebrate the whole thing. Mike came to that, and that was it. Rest was history. Mike, so let's ask really quick since we have Mike with us. Mike, did you go back to the barbecue knowing that there was a cute little uh, blonde there named Diane? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I had already moved to Galveston prior to all this happening. We didn't know each other, but I had moved to Galveston. They had shipped me to Galveston about a year before. And I knew Donnie because we both worked in the Clear Lake area. And so they started expanding Galveston. I had moved first and they decided they were going to move him, too. So I knew him. And then that's how I ended up helping them move down. And so, yeah. Yeah. yeah um, you know, we had several good experiences. Uh, we got to play, uh, uh, we had a little sing-alongs at the piano, so we knew we were very compatible when we were doing these songs and singing, and uh, it was a lot of fun. That's kind of where we made our connection. That's so cute. Oh, I love it. I love it. I kind of had so, a lot about those sing-alongs, Mike, that was fun. you tell them about the, the, uh, the episode when we you were on the beach riding the bicycles with your with your mother. <laughs> oh, after you know, I started teaching, and I was still living with my mom, and she of course wouldn't let me pay rent or anything. So I would always buy her different things for the house, you know, new furniture, replace curtains and things, and and I bought us bicycles. 
So that summer that we met Mike, my mom and I had been going every night down to um, riding down to the beach and then riding all the way down to the end. Of, we kind of lived central uh, Galveston. We would ride all the way down to the end of the island toward Jack Tar Hotel, if you know where that is, um, the far east end, and then ride back. Well, one night, Mother and I were riding, and um, her bike got a flat tire. And so we're riding along now. What are we going to do with this flat tire? And here pulls up Mike in his Corvette. And uh, so <laughs> she uh, she gets in the car with Mike and takes off, and I'm left there with the bicycles, you know. So, yeah, I wasn't too happy that night. I wanted to be the one riding in the Corvette with Mike. <laughs> that was one of our early, yeah. early dates, I guess you'd call it. Uh, I think Mike knew that if you won over your mom, it'd be easier to win you over. Exactly. Because he was in the Naval Reserve then, and he wore um, the Navy whites that had to be ironed and all. My mom started ironing them for him. And she would cook, and Mike would call me, like, after work, and he'd call, and she'd say, see if Mike's eaten yet. i go, Mike, have you had supper yet? No. Tell him to come over. So, you know, I knew. I mean, my mom told me from the get-go. If you and Mike ever split up, I'm on his side. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, uh, okay. so, so you met him, and then how quick did you say you all got married? We met in July, and uh, we got married the following March. Okay. And we then, got engaged Christmas. Okay, and then you had children pretty quick, and that's when you left teaching then. Uh-huh, yeah. But you stayed living in Galveston, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Were you still involved in the black community in the schools while you had your girls were young? Well, actually, yeah, because we um, we moved, we bought a house, and it was in kind of central part of town. There were a lot of black people around there, and it was in an area where they actually what they ended up doing. Their idea for integration was the freedom of choice and people are going to choose to come to the schools. And then they kind of rezoned them. Well, they still weren't really getting balanced. So um, Galveston was under a court order, I think, to get more integration going. So they closed several of the black schools and opened a magnet school. And it was just a block and a half from our house. And it had, it was fabulous. It had had science teachers, it had uh, computer labs, it had a music teacher, um, orchestra teacher, wow. I mean, it art teacher, it had all these things. And I, uh, and that's where Rachel started kindergarten. So that was perfect. And of course, a lot of the teachers that I knew were there. So um, yeah, I, they were just waiting for me for Rebecca to get old enough to start school for me to get a job there. And so I went to work there and it was still, they had kids who came in from other, you know, from the East end, from different places, white kids who came in, but it was still predominantly a black school. It never really, really integrated that well. Before we go for, further, I want, I want to go back to before you met Mike, you're teaching in Galveston and it's during this time you said it's it pretty formative for you. And you spent a summer in Montana. And yeah. that's where your dad was from, right? Right. Why don't you tell yeah. us about that? Well, the first summer, um, well, the first year I taught was 68, 69. And my sister graduated uh, from high school in 69. So we decided we wanted to take a trip and go back to Montana to see my aunts and uncles. Uh, who were still, you know, and my grandmother, who were still living there. So, and I had this, I had bought a, a Mustang, 1968 Mustang. So we went in my Mustang out to Montana and uh, got out there. And my cousins are just a little bit, a couple years younger than me. And they were doing barrel racing and roping and all of this. And in Montana, you have just all these rodeos all the time. You know, it's just like on the weekends, that's what you do is you rodeo. And uh, my aunt and uncle, one of them in particular, have had a, far, a ranch, and um, that's where Sandy and Sherry lived. And so I, I don't know, I just got so excited having so much fun with them. They wanted me to stay for the summer 
and I, I wasn't going to work, so I could, except I needed to drive my mom and my sisters back to Galveston. So we drove back, and then I got a ticket and flew back to Montana. And then I stayed out there, and it really was a really uh, great summer for me because I spent my entire life being Sadie's daughter. But when I was in Montana, I was Dwayne's daughter. And my aunt had so much fun. I had actually had two aunts out there and an uncle. And they had so much fun introducing me. This is Dwayne's daughter, you know, and they, it was just great. And then, and I learned how to drive a tractor. I, I pulled a rake behind me and helped bail hay, hay, all that stuff, you know, that rode horses. I mean, things I never did in Galveston. So that was really a fun a fun time. They wanted me to stay. And of course, there's always an opening for teachers out in little places like that. And my, when this aunt that I was actually with that summer, she had is a teacher, had been a teacher, and uh, had taught in like one room schoolhouses. And so Yvonne was all excited and wanted me to stay. But, and I was kind of like, but I, you know, I loved the school where I, you know, was teaching in Galveston. And so I wasn't ready to make that kind of change. So. But it was but a you, great, great summer. You had been to Montana as a child. You, as a family, yeah. you would go visit. That is, that is incredible that you had the connection to your dad's family, seeing as your, especially your two younger sisters didn't have any real recollection, and you and your brother are very small amounts. But that is that is tremendous for both both parts. Your your dad's family would be so accepting, and your mom making a making the the trips up there. So you guys yeah. keep know that. Yeah. I credit my mom really for all of that. We and after she died, and we were going through her things. We found stacks of letters that she had written to my grandparents after my dad died, just tell them how we were. Diane did such and such. You know, Rainy's got a tooth. Blah blah blah. And my grandmother had saved all those letters. And then when she broke, they broke her house down and you know, sold it. Um, my aunt sent those back to my mom, so my mom had all those. But it, it, it was really uh, kind of enlightening for us to read all that, to read how, how my mom did keep in connection. It wasn't just that we, every couple of years, we went out there for a vacation, but she wrote to them. Uh, my grandmother loved to let her write, and I did too. And so I wrote Grandma always and she had a lot of those letters but she always ended her letters grandma anna in montana in haste because she was always in a hurry in haste her letters always said but i wrote to grandma you know really right up until she died we kept in touch but my mom was really instrumental in that that is great that's that's great and i enjoyed hearing about that you had this whole different life experience from growing up on a, on an island, the beach, and riding your bike, mm -hmm. to there you go and you're riding horses, driving tractors, going to a rodeo. You you may have seen the rodeo growing up in, in Galveston right. maybe once or twice, I don't know, but mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's awesome. So you have two daughters and you stay at home until um, they get into school and then you go back to teaching. You went back to the same school? Magnet. No, I went, yeah, I went to the magnet school because that school now was closed. They weren't okay. using it anymore. But I went to the magnet. And actually, before that, I did some preschool work um, just because I felt like Rachel, when she got, you know, for about three and four, needed more kids to play with. Rebecca was a baby. My idea was I was going to stay home and give Rebecca some special time and let Rachel go to preschool. So Rachel started doing that. Rebecca cried every time we took Rachel to school and wanted to stay. I knew the um, director of that school. It was Moody Methodist uh, in Galveston. And um, Mildred saw me one day and she said, Diane, why don't you come to work here? So I started working like I mean, three days a week. And it was like, not days, but their school went from 9 to 1130. I mean, you know, so I did that. So that kind of got me back into teaching a little bit. I was missing it a lot. And I was doing so much stuff at home with the girls that I thought, well, I could do this with a bunch of kids, you know. <laughs> yeah. So that was kind of my preschool experience then. And then when Rachel was going to go into uh, first grade, um, Rebecca was going to start kindergarten. I uh, applied for a job there. 
So I know you were a teacher, but you soon, how long until you moved into principalship? And was that in Galveston or was that in Houston? No, that was in Houston. I was um, a teacher in Galveston, I think eight years total when we left there. Um, and you left because of Mike's job? Mike got transferred to Houston, yeah. And I got a job in spring. And in those days, it's not true now, unfortunately, but in those days, Spring, Klein, and Cy Fair were really top-notch districts, all three of them. And I interviewed in all three of them. Cy Fair offered me a job right away, sight unseen. It was the craziest thing. Principal called me. She just got her information from my resume and from the person in the district who interviewed me. But uh, I looked at the map of Cy Fair. Oh, my gosh. I said, we could be anywhere. I could be teaching anywhere. But then we knew where we were living. And I really wanted to teach in the district where the girls went. So I took a job in spring. And I don't remember how many years. Do you remember before? I taught probably six or seven years in spring, maybe. And the assistant principal's father had a heart attack or something. And so the principal asked me if I would come in and substitute for Susan as AP. Uh, until she could come back and uh, I you know I was always in back involved as a team leader and helping organize things and all so and, and I like to do detention I was good with detention after school and those kinds of things which NAP does so um, I did that and then um, everybody seemed to like me in that position and it felt pretty comfortable so I started going back to graduate school then um, to uh, get my master's and then principalship. So, you and know, then I was AP for probably 10 years before I became a principal. Okay, so a couple questions. A, where did you do grad school? Sam Houston. Okay. And so how, so back in the day then, were you driving up there or was it, right? <laughs> I was driving. It was a hundred miles round trip. From my driveway to my driveway, 100 miles, and uh, there were no online classes or anything, and there were no satellite places when I started. You drove right down to the campus, and uh, so I did it usually two nights a week. Um, if I could get a, a Tuesday and Thursday class, I would do that. If not, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, but I didn't like that because I didn't like missing choir, so I tried to avoid those if I could. Then in the summer, I went. It was hard and when I first started oh my gosh I had been out of the classroom for so long computers were a new kind of thing and I would just be trying to do a paper and I'd be crying because I couldn't find the button to erase something and Mike was always bringing me different IBM uh, machines to use that had the latest and greatest but I didn't know what to do with them I can remember in my mind, I can picture me sitting at the top of the stairs at a computer, finishing a paper one night without crying. And I went, Mike, I finished it and I didn't get upset. You know, so anyway, it wasn't easy. But, and both girls were in college by then. So, uh, okay, wait. So then, um, all right. So this is you getting your master's and then you didn't want to miss choir practice. Were you guys already at Northwoods at this point? Oh, yeah. We joined North, Northwoods as soon as we moved here in 1985. Okay. We joined then, the choir right away. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, my other question about that was, um, what what were you still teaching, like, first grade when you moved to um, here before you became AP? No. Um, I Actually, in Galveston, I taught first, and then when I went to the magnet school, I taught third uh, third. And then when I got to spring, I started out in second grade, moved to first, then moved to third. So I was primarily third grade teacher for the rest of the time. And then once you became AP and you went to your grad school and you became principal, how long were you principal and were you at the same school? No, I, I was, yeah, I was an interim principal at that school because my principal uh, did that thing where you could retire early and you had to leave the school and all that. It was real popular at the time. And uh, Martha did that and I was the interim principal. 
her husband also got extremely ill. was in the hospital a real long time, and I was principal during that time at that school on his acting principal. Um, but when I actually got a job, then I moved to um, Hirsch Elementary. I wanted to be at that school, and they wanted me at that school, but my principal kept every year postponing when she was going to retire. And I finally just like, you know, I'm ready to be a principal. I can't wait around anymore. So I applied to this other school, got the job, and then she retired. Not happy. <laughs> and that's how it always worked. Yep. Right, yeah. So, so then I was, go ahead. You were a principal for about how long? Really only three years. And then I retired. Really? Okay. Well, there's a lot to that story. I don't know if I should get into it, but. Yeah. Okay. So you, you retired, but you didn't stay retired long, did you? No, about a year and a half, maybe, I think. Not very long at all. I Well, and actually after I retired, I became a, uh, I've forgotten now what they call it, but I worked for Sam Houston with student teachers oh. and, uh, you know, went and observed them, supervised them and all that. So I was still, you know, involved in that kind of thing. But still, I kind of wanted more to do. And I was on personnel at Northwoods. And so uh, Sharon Snyder re resigned as the director of the ELCP and they asked me to be on the committee, the search committee, to look for a um, a new director. Hey. Said, oh, sure, that's great. Yeah. Well, I know it took me a long time, Carmelin, to figure that out. I was there and I kept going home and I tell him, Mike, oh my gosh, my that school sounds like the greatest place. It got this, it got that. No, I can't understand why it's not successful. But you know, and I just kept you know doing that and then. We kind of started getting closer to being ready to interview somebody, and like a light bulb came on one day, and I went, I want that job. I, you know, I want to do that. So I went into Ann Wilson and said, Ann, well, I called her and said, could I come in and talk to you? And she said, sure. And um, so I went in, and I said, uh, I want to get off the search committee. And she goes, ah, you do? What's the matter? And I said, because I want to apply for the job. She actually jumped up, ran around the table and hugged me and said an answer to prayer. So, uh, but that sounds like I would have gotten it real easily. It was not easy. I don't know who else they wanted, but I had to keep going back for interviews and back for interviews. And it was a real tense time before they finally offered me the job. So, that is so crazy. I just remember the opening and then I remember oh we hired Diane Brown I'm like oh how exciting so isn't that funny how different perspectives and, and it mm. so how long were you the director for then 10 years 10 years and I do believe like financially as well as um attendance wise and population I mean you grew that program phenomenally to what it what it is now I mean very very impressive I, I can speak to that a little bit. I was on the board. So Diana had this unique ability of getting good people to do good things. And she cared about the students a lot, the kids. And I remember I was on the board for a very short time before Diane. And I was on the board after. And I, so I, I missed the middle part of the probably the roughest part of being the director for you, Diane, that first year. I Thomas, I think you left that summer just as I finally got hired. I don't you, think you we got were hired. You got hired two weeks after I left. Oh, okay, yeah. I think it was, or, or maybe it was two months, but I remember Diane, I, or I went in to talk to Ann because I had gotten transferred, and Diane was extremely upset because she was trying to rebuild the board. Um, the board at the time had some people that had been on there a long time, and so I, I was – I made some suggestions of different people that I knew and she had already talked to a bunch of people and was trying to do some different things. And, uh, and I left and I remember she got a hold of me a couple months later and told me that they had hired you. And then I, I'm good friends with Drew Mann and I think he was an elder and was um, the elder for ELCP or at the time he was for part of it. And so right. he would give me information and then we moved back and then Greg was in the ELCP. Um, with Todd and Deepa's room and, and all that. So, and, um, 
and uh, oh, I can't. Miss Heather was involved there too. Mm -hmm. I think at the time. So, but when I came, when, when I left, we were losing money. The church was basically funding the program. Um, when I came back, the program was on the rise, and it probably almost at its peak within the first year I was back, and we were kind of funding the church. That's um, right. And yeah. and it was a combination of things that that happened. There were some very pivotal moments, but I think um, you opened up to uh, at the time you had to be two to go there and then when you came in you opened it up to six weeks or is that right right yeah so then that change that change was pretty important because then you would get the kids right after they were born and they would stay through for five years yeah and um yeah we ran out of classrooms i think you had problems with classrooms yeah space we finally had to, we kind of had to finally just decide we were going to limit our numbers because we could keep taking kids, but then there was that risk of a teacher being out sick and not really having a good teacher to be in her place and, you know, that balance. So we finally had to say, okay, we're not going to take more students than this. But, um, yeah, it was a fun, exciting time because, but I'll tell you honestly, I worked from, I would get over there at 6.30, seven in the morning and I would get home at six thirty or seven at night because it, it takes a lot of work to get that kind of, you know, program going and you know, all of that. But well, it, and, in those I mean, and it wasn't like that forever. I eventually had good assistance and, you know, didn't have to do that much, but yeah. But also in that 10 years that a lot was going down with your family, you lost your mom in that 10 years, you were diagnosed with cancer. Mike had some health issues. Rachel um, had brain surgery. Yeah. Rachel had brain surgery. <laughs> um, you became a grandma. I mean, a lot went down in those 10 years. Right. Yeah. It was busy. Yeah. So a couple of things I want, I want to backtrack to something. One of your favorite vacations, you said it was in 19, it was the summer of 1982, and you drove to Williamsburg, Virginia, and then into D.C.? Uh, yeah. And um, your daughter lives in D.C. or in the D.C. area now. Right. Is there a connection with that? Well, I really think it was because, um, you know, we kind of introduced the girls to that part of the country and to all that history and, um, you know, everything that was there. But um, the funny thing was, I wanted to go to Williamsburg because I just like that time period and that history of that. I wanted to go there. Um, we thought we ought to take the girls to DC, you know, let them see that. But we didn't know if any of that was going to please them. So we would also add Disney World to that trip. So, and we were in a little travel trailer. So we did all of that. But Rachel and Rebecca both love DC. They, you know, they really got into that. They also loved Williamsburg. I mean, the whole trip was just great. And Re Rachel was going into third grade, I think. Rebecca was between kindergarten and first. Is that right, Mike? No. And uh, anyway, they it was a great trip. Yeah. And then, so that kind of, you, you, you do have a love for travel. And uh, you've been to some different places. What's been your favorite place to travel to? Oh, we had a great trip to Croatia with the choir one summer, and I loved that. Italy, I love Italy, so that's great. Yeah, and then I guess on your wish list is uh, uh, in Europe, uh, London, Paris, and, and Switzerland, huh? Right, still never have been there, so I guess COVID needs to get out of the way, so maybe we can do that. <laughs> yeah, so your, your uh, oldest, I think it's your oldest daughter, has two daughters and with COVID you got something special out of that this year. We did. They came to live with you. Yeah. That was, that was really a bonus that kind of from COVID I don't think we ever expected to have, but uh, Rachel was working from home. She works for the department of justice and uh, is a, what's her type? I can't remember, but she writes briefs all the time and then presents them in court and stuff. And so, uh, her work is hard, and there she had the two girls at home, and two girls the same age who are very smart and very high-spirited, it, it became too much. 
And, um, you know, there were a lot of phone calls back and forth. Mom, I can't get him to do this. Mom, will you talk to Ellie? Mom, you know, Daddy, can you help me? You know, so I could see that she was getting just more and more upset. And, of course, from the beginning, I wanted to go there. But nobody wanted me to get on a plane. Then I couldn't get on a plane. So, you know, there we were just stuck. And then finally, one day I just said, Rach, why don't you think about coming down here? You could work from here. And, um, you know, I could, your dad and I could help take care of the girls, and that would be great. And I thought, uh, she's not going to pay attention to me about it. You know, she's not going to do that. Well, then I talked to her. I told Rebecca. So Rebecca said, Mom, I'm talking to her tonight. I'll mention it again. So Rebecca mentioned it. So the next day, Rachel calls, and we're talking, and she goes, well, I asked so-and-so if they thought Keith would approve me working from Houston, and she thinks he will, so I'm going to ask him. So then um, a few days passed, and we didn't hear anything. And then one day, Rachel called, and she was real upset. The girls were not cooperating, and we talked to Ellie, and I'm talking to Ellie, and Ellie said, me, we're going on a trip. And I said, you are? She goes, uh-huh, we're coming to see you. And I said, when? And she said, in two days. I said, let me talk to your mom. So <laughs> I got on the phone with Rachel. I said, are you coming? Did Keith approve it? She goes, oh, I guess I didn't tell you. <laughs> so they came that week. And we met them. And uh, really, Mike and I had a lot of fun. It's, it's hard work. You all have had young kids more recently than we have. And it was exhausting. But it was good. You know, Rachel got a chance to kind of regroup, get herself back together together and to do her work in Mike's office and uh, we played with the girls and flew kites and scootered and skated and you know it was fun. That's great that, that, that is such a good thing I'm so happy for you and Mike on that and Mike and we actually did a, our, our first podcast they were still there we kind of had to tie it around oh, that a little bit because that's right Mike, yeah Mike was like I got these girls here and need to be able to, to <laughs> make sure we could do this and so definitely excited for you guys on that, and I hope uh, you know Rachel's doing well up there now uh, as it got started. I guess the girls are in school now. Do they go back in the classroom? Start first, they start first grade tomorrow. It's all virtual. So they've got their desks set up in their rooms, and um, they each have their own Chromebook. And, you know, so our fingers are crossed that it works out. But, you know, I'm, I'm probably going to be going up there in a month or so and spend some time and you know Rachel's kind of open to if it gets so I can't handle a mom we can always come back and sure you can always come back you know and they can so yeah. you know if they show back up here again don't be surprised yeah all right so one last thing I wanted to, to touch on that we haven't talked about was apparently you have some pretty strong pie making skills you're really, really quite the baker. Is that true? I enjoy making pies. Yeah. So what's your favorite pie, or should I ask Mike what his favorite pie is? Well, she makes a mean apple pie, and pecan pie is right up there with it. And so either one of those is my favorite. She does a, pecan, uh, a pumpkin, which pumpkin's never been my favorite, but it's still very good when she makes it. <laughs> so, and Diane, have you ever made an upside down apple pie? I don't think so. So, I've never had one. Um, there's a bakery here in town that makes one, and it's you make the pie crust in the bottom, and then you put like this pecan, um, it's almost like a maple pecan layer, and then you make the pie, and then you put the crust on it, and you bake it, and then when you take it out of the oven, you put a pie pan on top, flip it over. So then you have that, that pecan topping. I'm, it, actually, I did it backwards. You have the pecan topping, then the crust, then the pie, yeah. then the top crust. So when you flip it over, you got this pecan topping on your apple pie. That it's phenomenal. That's sound good. I'll have to look that up. You see, Diane yeah. makes her own crust, too. She doesn't buy store-bought crust. So yeah. that's the, one of the hardest things about it. And so everybody's always saying, how do you get this crust like that? Well, she has <laughs> her special techniques and her special rolling pin that works perfectly. So That's awesome. Diane, you need to tell them about the – your mother liked to bake cakes. She was a really good cake baker, and she took a lot of pride in baking the cakes. You want to share with us? 
that time when uh, when you guys helped her bake a cake on Mother's Day. And, um, remember that? that well, Mother was, yeah, it was a recipe that we were supposed to all be making, you know, but Mother didn't have this ingredient or that ingredient, so she substituted this and that and the other and then finally made the cake, and when she dumped it out, it all fell apart. And then she turned and said, well, I didn't make this cake. Diane did. No, like, wait a minute, mother. That was not mine. So we always laugh about that because if something doesn't turn out, we'll say, we didn't make this. Diane did. You know, so, yeah. Well, I just love the the strong woman lineage that you come from, you know, both um, your your grandmother being widowed and your mother being widowed and raising three strong daughters and your, your brother. I mean, during, you know, during some tough times there, but I'll tell you what they, you know, I see a lot of Sadie um, just from, I've, you know, known stories of her through the years and I've met her a number of times and I can see why everyone thought you were definitely Sadie's daughter. Um, but just, you know, kudos to those really strong women and, the strong woman you are and that you've been to your daughters and now to your granddaughters and to all the others that you've touched through this, through teaching and AP and principalship and director and all of the students through Sam Houston that you've mentored. I mean, Diane, you really, your legacy is just, it's phenomenal and it's really cool to see that it's come from really some really strong women as well. I mean, I just love your story. Thanks. You know, my grandmother uh, could read. Uh, she hadn't finished high school or anything, but she could read, and she was really pretty smart. She was real good with numbers, but my grandfather couldn't read. So my mom would tell us how in the mornings they would get up. She remembered growing up, and my grandmother would read the newspaper to my grandfather before he went to work. And, um, you know, I mean, that's just what they did. And grandma was our drill sergeant on our multiplication tables and numbers and you know facts and besides that she could play jacks she'd sit down on the floor and play jacks with us and all of that so yeah and it, it was always they were a real team um you know raising us and expected a lot out of us but good yeah. i love it I love well it. diane th thank you so much for being on our podcast we've had a great time and you didn't disappoint i i Knew you had this great story. Then I read the information, and I was so excited. And thank you for sharing and being open with us and uh, enjoying our time with you. Thank you very much for being on. Well, thank you. It's my pleasure. Thanks for listening to More to My Story podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review us on your podcast service. And please also share us with your friends and family. You can find more about More to My Story podcast on our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages.